Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, guys. Today, I'm interviewing a very interesting project. Bluzel is a decentralized database using blockchain technology. Bluzel allows individuals to rent any spare computer storage space to application developers to earn crypto tokens. Our guest for today's show is Pavel Benz. Before starting Bluzel, Pavel was the co-founder of Story Panda, a digital book platform that empowered kids to read, create, and share books. Story Panda had licensing deals with DreamWorks, Warner Brothers, amongst other companies. Prior to Story Panda, Pavel was in general manager and CFO roles for video game studios, including Three Wave Software and Disney Interactive Studios. Welcome to the show, Pavel. Hey, thank you for inviting me. So before we dig into what you guys are doing at Bluzel, could you tell us about your background, how you got introduced to blockchain, how Bluzel came about and your journey from Canada to Singapore? Yeah, that'd be exciting to do. So my background is actually in uh, digital media and video games. That's uh, what I used to work for. So I, you know, I used to work for Disney, did projects for Microsoft, uh, Activision, Electronic Arts. I had a children's book publishing platform on the iPad called uh, Story Panda. And um, eventually, you know, uh, we finished up Story Panda and then I wanted to get into something really hard technology, you know, I was really always into reading on my own of, I was always into economics, you know, political science, uh, distributed computing. And then I, you know, I bumped into stumbled upon Bitcoin, everybody's talking about it. From that said, hey, okay, what's this all about? And then, you know, you start reading, I got more enamored by the blockchain, the technology behind it. And uh, it's a rabbit hole, right? You start reading it and you keep going deeper and deeper. Absolutely. And then, and then decided, uh, you know, I want to get into this space. Uh, that was around mid 2014. Met my co-founder who had uh, recently left. He was working for uh, the company called Zero Block, which was an early blockchain company, and it got bought by Blockchain, the wallet company. So he was in Silicon Valley uh, near Edge. He moved back to Vancouver, and just by fate, coincident, you know, we both had a common friend. He introduced us both, saying, "Hey, you guys are both working on this blockchain stuff." That friend didn't understand this. He goes, "Probably you're more into design and product." Yeah. Neeraj is into, he's a, CT, he's a technology guy. Maybe you guys can, it looks like you both want to do the same thing. So he connected us and we hit it off and started the company from there, Fuzel. So that was like, yeah, around uh, mid to fall 2014. Yeah. Uh, so you've been active since about, you know, 2014, 2015 and worked with a bunch of banks, banking platforms and insurance companies. Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, so how we got into that is initially we, uh, so this was in Vancouver and we were focusing on doing just anything on the blockchain. So we did some stuff for Ripple, uh, some other small projects. Cryptocurrency started kind of pushing back, but people got really interested in the blockchain and what it can do as you know. And so we decided that, hey, the better target market is going to be, you know, we believe the businesses would use this and would be super interested and blockchain for enterprises is good. And so that's when we started to focus on banks and selling them blockchain solutions. So that was around 2015. End of 2015, we decided that Vancouver and Canada doesn't really have a target market for insurance, 
insurers and banks. And we said, you know, Asia adopts technologies faster. Let's go to an Asian financial hub. And that's how we'll do it. So that's what made us uh, early 20, like February 2016, we uh, moved to Singapore to pursue that, saying that, hey, there's a lot of banks here. The government is super supportive of fintech and pushing blockchain. So we said, if it's going to work, it's going to work here. And we went from that. Yeah, I think the Singapore government has done an amazing job of attracting top talent as well as capital to, to foster this ecosystem of startups. And so now you guys are building a decentralized database service. Could you explain very simply what that means and, and how it works? Yes. So, so how we actually came about was that we were, uh, I'll take a step back. So as you're saying, we're doing projects in Singapore for banks and insurers like HSBC, AIA, the insurer, uh, OCBC, MSIG, Japanese insurer. So really well-known names, MUFG, another Japanese bank. And while we're building these products, so we, we would build, let's say, uh, we built a digital identity platform over Ethereum for the banks. Then we did an insurance platform for the insurers over Ethereum. But while we were doing it, we needed to store the data somewhere. So we built a decentralized app, used Ethereum, but then the data that we were storing was, uh, had to be done on Microsoft Azure, like a centralized traditional database system. Now, the problem we had was that the apps didn't directly, you know, it wasn't a one-to-one relationship. So, I mean, to make it in really simple terms, we had to blockchainify Azure so it can handle our project, that, the product that we made. That was a big pain point. So then that's when we decided that, hey, if we're having this pain point, everyone is, everyone will. And if we believe decentralized apps is the future, shouldn't they be running on a decentralized plat- platform like Ethereum, but also a decentralized database to store all that? And that's how the common product of Bluezell came to fruition, was really solving our own problem for this project we did for the banks. So now, going back to what you originally said is, what is a decentralized database? So currently a database, as everybody knows, you, know, you can use Excel as a database. It stores records and fo- uh, records for any type of information. Uh, current systems that big companies use, or even small companies, are either on-premise, so in-house, like on a server, or they're based on the cloud, like you know, Oracle, Microsoft, IBM, Amazon Web Services. The problem is in these systems, as you've seen over the last six months or a year, all these data breaches happen and data leaks. And usually it's because if you have a centralized system, you can really break into there and take the data. Now, what we're doing is saying, let's decentralize it. Let's create our own network where what we do is take every, instead of doing it on a central number of servers on a cloud, we're taking and, uh, you know, your laptop or your computer at home, everybody else is and saying, download the Bluezell protocol. And instead of being a miner for Bitcoin or Ethereum, you're a storage node on the Bluezell network. So now customers, when they store their data, it's not stored in one place, it's stored on thousands of places. Um, so that way, for somebody to steal the data, they have to take over the entire network. And now for the person, the producer who stored the part of that data on their machine, they earn a Bluezell token. So I'm going to get to how to become a node and start earning Blazelle tokens. But before that, I, you know, I, I read about what you guys are working on. And, and I feel that a lot of times there's a lot of confusion between file storage, which is something which Filecoin and Sia are doing, compared to what you guys are doing, which is more of data storage and management. Could you make that distinction between file storage and management versus having a database for our listeners who may not know the difference between the two? Yeah, so the easiest way to understand the two is file storage 
uh, is different between files and data. So people go, hey, what is that? Well, Dropbox stores files. Oracle stores the data behind it uh, for those files, like a database. So that's really the easiest way to understand. So Filecoin, CS, storage are more like Dropbox, or more like Oracle. Um, to make it even more simpler uh, for people to have a one-to-one -one relationship is let's just say they're using Instagram or even Facebook photos. So that photo is a file that's stored somewhere. Now the data behind that photo, which could be, you know, Pavel sent it to you, the location, you know, who I, I tagged yourself in it, date, time, that all that data needs to be stored somewhere else. And depending on what Instagram, Facebook wouldn't do, that's stored in a database. So that's how you separate the two. So we don't compete with Filecoin or CS, we're complementary products. Let's talk about the tech stuff a little bit. So you mentioned Swarm technology on your website and repeatedly in your white paper as well. Could you go into a little bit more detail about what a Swarm is and, and how it works? Yeah, so uh, the, the main thing, easiest way to understand the Swarm, it's done for speed and efficiency. Uh, so right now, if you look at Bitcoin or Ethereum, it takes a long time to process any transaction because the entire system has to come to consensus that we agree that this transaction is true. And uh, basically call that the entire universe has to come to agreement. Now, look at swarming as just like in a real world, we have, we have the universe, but we also have galaxies, thousands and billions of galaxies that make up the universe. So think of the swarm like a galaxy. So we're saying, don't worry about the universe agreeing. Let's just have the swarm or the galaxy agree that this is true. So you're making a subset that enough and is redundant and safe, secure, uh, and has all the principles of the blockchain, but can guarantee the consensus without having the entire universe have to do it. So that way you get, you get way more speed out of it. So the, the way I was uh, picturing it in my head was sort of like a beehive. So you have multiple beehives. The, and I don't know if this analogy is correct. So for example, multiple uh, sort of holes or spokes in a beehive would be the nodes. And so multiple nodes would form a swarm and then you have multiple beehives and so you have multiple swarms. Is, is that a good, good analogy? That, that's correct. Because whenever somebody thinks of a swarm, they think of bees. Yeah. So that's, that's a great, that's another one. That's, that's a great parallel to the galaxy one. Okay. Uh, so if I'm an application developer and I use Bluzel for my database needs uh, and I have a particularly large requirement, could you tell us how high level, how that would work in the backend? So where would the data sit? You know, is it kept on multiple nodes within one swarm or does it go to all the swarms? It would, uh, the goal is it would be on uh, uh, certain data would be, it'd be spread across multiple swarms. So certain parts of data would be on, a set would be on one swarm, another set could be on a different swarm. And that's really, once again, it's, it's for security and persistence issues. So the system won't go down. Right, so if one node or one swarm goes down, it's okay. It's replicated. The the, the database is still alive. Right, and uh, is the formation of a swarm random, or is it by location, or like how do you figure out like what nodes are going to form a swarm? That that those are the algorithms that we're building out. Some swarms might have to be localized or regional specific to depend on speed. Some just might be spread out and just still connected. And how it retrieves the data would be like so. Let's just say it says. Pavel Baines lives at in Singapore on one uh, data record. Now, if somebody needs to retrieve that, it could look at, okay, which node on a swarm does he need to go, do we need to go to retrieve it? It might be the one that's, uh, whichever is faster. So the one that actually might have the fastest connection or the one that may be closest to the customer who's requesting that data depending on the city they're in. 
So you mentioned two stakeholders in your white paper, the producers and the consumers. Uh, could you briefly explain what the role of these two stakeholders are and how the whole system works? What, we're, what we built is, yes, it's a database layer, but really at its core, what is it? It's a marketplace, right? We've allowed two parties to come in and exchange goods for, uh, for, trend, for fees. So a consumer would be, let's just say, years from now, it could be, you know, electronic arts per se. They, let's say they want to store all their game data on somewhere. So they'd be the consumer. Uh, the producer could be just myself, you out there who turned on our computers and allowed Bluezell to basically store data on the network. So it's very similar to uh, if you heard of the SETI project, which launched about you know, 18 years ago. And that's what my first intro into distributed computing was. When SETI is just search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They said, hey, if we can power all this unused hardware or computer power around the world, we can actually scan the universe faster and more efficiently. So the producer here is saying, like I said, instead of mining for Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're like, I'm going to earn Bluezell tokens. The consumer is the actual customer who needs to store data somewhere. And so the producers have to stake their BNT token, which I'm going to get to as well, in order to run the node. And so it's, it's kind of like a proof of stake consensus mechanism, right? That's right. So that's to, to prevent the bad players, bad customer service. And if you know, we find like one node is not acting the right way, the system detects that this is a bad actor, we can take that stake away from them. Okay. And so you're slated to release the beta end of June, if I'm not wrong? Well, I wouldn't say it's the beta. It will be more like an alpha, but it'll be a working single swarm uh, product. So customers will be able to uh, you know, all the companies that are working with right now, they'll be able to download it, use it. Most of the nodes are probably is going to be run through us and our strategic partners at start just to prove the system out. Okay. But, the, but, uh, but there will be resilient, tried and tested companies on our network. And then the people using it could be like, okay, let me start storing data in a single swarm environment. Okay. And so at some point in the future, once the system has been battle tested, so to say, uh, I want to become a, a producer and earn some Blazelle tokens. Uh, what would be the requirements be? How do I go about it? Is it a simple process or, uh, you know, is running a node non-trivial? We're going to make it as, as simple as we can. And that's, that's what that's going to require is like right now we're put, building out our documentation, uh, you know, the API docs, uh, everything that a producer would need to understand. And it's going to, it should be as simple as, Hey, here's a code download it, run it, connect to our smart contract in your life. And so as a producer, can I decide which swarm uh, I want to be a part of? Or does it even matter what swarm am I a part of? No, it shouldn't. Because we want to keep that all anonymous and not at choices. Because, I mean, even, really, if I turn my computer on, does it really matter which swarm I'm part of? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just part of the network. And stuff. as long as things are being stored on my, on my machine and I'm earning, that's the benefit. Yeah, but there are no incentive or disincentive mechanisms that uh, are to do with Swarm as a whole, right? It's individual nodes that get penalized for bad behavior and not the Swarm. That's right. No, the Swarm won't be. Yeah, okay. It's individual node. Okay. So let's talk about the two tokens that you have, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, you know, why have two tokens? So BLZ and BNT. Uh, BLZ is your ERC20 token and BNT is your internal network token. Could you tell us quickly about the roles of the two tokens? And uh, yeah, once again, it comes, everything comes down to how we think about it is about efficiency of the system. So if you look at um, the ERC20 tokens, why did we do it? 
well, it's a funding mechanism, right? Everybody, you've got the, the wallets already out there. You've got a platform like Ethereum that allows you to do it. It's tried and tested. So it's a way to raise the money. Now, the problem is if we use BLZ, the ERC-20 token, so let's just say you've got uh, you know, a bunch of data stored on your network. You've got a database running. If every time you paid or you want to do an action and it took a micro cent or something of uh, your BLZ, we'd have to vet the entire network would have to validate that this is true, it's your data, all that stuff before it can accept it. So given current Ethereum's uh, processing speed, it would take time. And whether you're a decentralized system or centralized, what does a developer care? They want, they want reliability and they want speed. So if, we're taking, if they're taking long for a transaction to confirm their request just to get their data, that wouldn't work. So the way we solve that problem is, if you're a consumer and you come in, you've got your Bluezell tokens, let's say $100 worth. I want to use these things. Okay, good. You join the network, ready to go. So basically what we would do is we swap your BLZ for the equivalent in Bluezell native token, the internal one. That, now once you're in, now everything that you do for read, create, read, update, delete, that you're using the network that we did charge for, it's only taking BNT and because it's on our own internal network, it's instantaneous. The speed's there so you have no time delay for uh, using the service. Now, after a while, if you're like, you know what, I'm tired, I don't need this, I actually want to, or if you've earned the B, uh, B, a lot of BNT and you want to trade it out uh, for some other token, then it converts back to BLZ and you can go and uh, you know, sell it or whatever you want to do on any other exchange. Uh, and you mentioned in your white paper, and, and this kind of popped uh, for me, that there's a small fee attached to whenever someone wants to convert from BLZ to BNT and vice versa. So, and, and that's how you generate a bit of revenue as well. So was this revenue model one of your considerations as well, uh, which prompted you to create these two tokens? And so this is apart from, you know, the funding mechanism because it's easy to fund and BNT gives you the speed and it's also latency issues. But was this revenue model one of the considerations as well, which prompted you to create these two tokens? No, because ideally we'd like, we just like it to be one token. The revenue model, even if it was, even if it was one token, every time a request would be made on the network to use store data or create and read, we would still have the microtransaction uh, regardless. So when it, when it pays out from consumer to producer, for it, we have a network fee attached. So that's there regardless of if there's one token or two. Right. So let's talk about competition for a little bit, both you know, in, in, the, in the world that we live in today, as well as in the decentralized world that we will live in in the future, hopefully. So you mentioned Oracle earlier, but you'd be competing with some of the other giants as well, right? So Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Well, once uh, at some point we would. Yeah. Okay. So that would be like right now, our early target market to stay focused is uh, blockchain projects, blockchain applications. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it could be, you know, once we go, we, we step out of the early adopter to, you know, if you follow the market adoption curve to uh, early majority, that would be, you know, any web or mobile application uh, out there, even if it's non-blockchain, they, they're using databases anyways. So at that point, we would be going up against Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, Oracle. Right. So, you know, apart from being de decentralized, the value proposition that you offer would your customers be getting better pricing and better performance than they do today by using, you know, the database services uh, that are provided by Microsoft, Amazon, and so on? Well, let's just, uh, decentralization isn't actually a benefit. There's not, there's not a value proposition. If you go to somebody and you say, hey, you should use it because it's decentralized. No, that, that to, the lay, to the average person, they don't even understand what that means. Yeah. So what we got to, so the real value proposition 
what do people kind of what does decentralization in a database offer? Um, we're offering way better security, which is a number one issue <laughs> with all these data leaks. Yeah. Um, you also have way more reliability. So that means, you know, there won't be, if the system goes down, you know, one of some of your servers, like in traditional cloud-based systems, uh, in a decentralized one, if some, a node or a, a bunch of nodes go down, it doesn't affect it. It's still reliable. You can still get what you need. And then a third one is scalability. Because you can bring the costs down and almost charge just-in-time pricing and bring a lot of that overhead away, you can offer lower cost and you can allow people Startups, especially when they just don't have much revenue, but they, the users start scaling well, they can scale pretty uh, well, but at, still at a managed cost. So there is, so you get three benefits there. So, so you are saying that customers do end up getting better pricing as well as performance once you're fully up and running. That's correct. And so in terms of competition within the blockchain space, do you have any competitors? Um, the main one that always comes up is uh, Big Chain DB. They've been around a couple of years. Uh, they've been focusing, from what I know, more on enterprises and have been doing very well at that. So how they design their own database system is more geared towards the enterprise on-premise market where enterprises don't want anything stored on the net or cloud. They want it in-house. So that's from what we know. Uh, so we're focused on, no, no, nothing stored in-house. You don't manage any hardware. You just plug into the network and use it. Uh, that's what we bring at a protocol level. We believe that in the database space or any of the stuff, there's multiple ways to skin a cat, different approaches. And, uh, you know, they've got their approach. We have ours. And, you, you, and, and it targets different markets. So if you look at existing traditional systems, whether it's Dropbox, which is file storage, there's, you know, probably 100 top file storage companies around the world. And they all do well. Even when you're talking about databases, you know, you brought up good ones right there. You know, Microsoft, Amazon. Uh, Oracle, IBM, they all have database uh, as a service database cloud solutions that they sell off and they all do well. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. Uh, so you finished your ICO recently. What was that journey like? It was, uh, I was just talking about it earlier today. It's very, probably the month leading up to it was pretty intense. Uh, you know, it's a great experience. I mean, I think uh, if you're a top tech company, uh, you should all, uh, everyone should do a public sale because of the community you get generate, you get awareness of your product and you get a good gauge of what people are thinking about your brand, your project, your team. So that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, really worth it. The stresses that come with it are, you know, you got to protect yourself from all these hacking attempts, scams that are out there, that are leveraging your name, technology problems that might come up when you're doing the on, uh, onboarding or registration. You're dealing with a lot of, Customers coming in want to be excited and being part of it, which is great. But then the managing of it, it gets a bit difficult. But for me, I loved, I loved, you know, even with all those hacking attempts and security measures that we took to place and, you know, sleepless nights. Like I went 60 hours once without sleeping. I was oh, up wow. 60 hours straight. Yeah, I was up 60 hours straight because a problem happened. And I was like, I'm not sleeping until this thing is solved. And there's no way I could even go to sleep or close my eyes because I was like, knew what was going on. But regardless of all that, it was like, the community support, talking to them, engaging them, doing it, it's, it's fantastic. And you have this one goal that you're working towards. Let's get to this date. Let's do this well. And if we do well, we'll all, uh, everybody will be happy. Yes. So uh, for me, it's uh, that whole journey from building up the community from scratch, getting, educating people about the product, get them excited about the tech, the team, it was, uh, was unbelievable. Spending all that time to do it well, uh, was one of the best experiences I probably had. One of the most probably stressful, but still the best. Like I loved it. 
and you obviously did very well. So congratulations. But uh, I mean, the journey's well, just begun for you, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just, that just got to the, the, basically, what did that do? That got us to the starting line. But the best thing about it is to engage in a community and have people support it and be excited about ideas we have in our head, stuff that we worked on for years and be able to get that strong support right away. Uh, you know, I travel all over uh, uh, the world, especially Asia, and, you know, to go to Vietnam and somebody come up and say, hey, you're Pavel, founder of Buzel. I've been following the project. I was in the ICO. I love it. Can I get a picture from you and my friends? Like, <laughs> when, is, when is that? That's like saying, it's like, it's like you know, when is that ever happened? Drop star status, right? I, I won't say that. It's almost like, I was saying this to somebody else the other day. Imagine being Mark Zuckerberg and these guys sitting in a, you know, in a garage, building Facebook. People kind of know about it, but the product's not out there. But people are really excited and into the community and what Mark and those guys are doing. And you go and they're already recognizing the work you're putting in. That's never happened before, right? Now it does. So uh, having that, I think that's the best part of this whole thing is having that constant community engagement and working with them and getting the good feedback and then them all being excited. And every time you deliver, they get more excited, which is good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you obviously ran a very successful ICO, but would you do anything differently today? Or do you think it was all, all good? Let me think. It's always the hard part is things change uh, so often. And you try to, I think the one thing I would do is so we did our raise where we did about 60% uh, private sale, 40% uh, public sale for the ICO. I think I would, if I could do it again, I'd probably go the other way. We're 60% to the public and 40 to the private or even less 30 to the private, 70 to the public. But at that time, people were, you know, in November, everybody was shying away because, you know, Ether prices were going down, Bitcoin, people, it, was, it was really cold. So people were worried that, will the public support these things? Have they gone tired? And so you just never know. Yeah. So I think uh, hindsight being 2020, if, uh, yeah, if I could go back, I would probably be like, I want to give more to the public and invite more people in to participate. That'd be a definite thing. So for our listeners who've been actively following this podcast, you may remember that we interviewed Bank Chorus in episode number three, which was accepted into JD.com's inaugural accelerator out of Beijing. So Bluzel is also one of the other companies that has been accepted into this accelerator. So more good news for you, Pavel. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting thing that uh, we're working on with them. And it's going to give us some good opportunities to test out our product, build some use case with them with a big company. Even though, like I said, we're targeting small ones and work with them, it's when a big one comes along and says, hey, we want to work on this and understand what you're building here and build some use cases to show the world, uh, you're not going to say no to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so has the program already begun? Uh, it, it, it's begun in a private way of just uh, defining uh, the scope of projects and what we want to get done, yes. If you could talk about your journey so far, do you think, obviously, you know, JD.com is a great partner to have. You know, what's that experience been like or like what, what are your thoughts on on this accelerator in general uh we're actually not allowed to talk about it right now they want to keep everything kind of um internal and work on privately until uh there's real things that they can go out there and showcase so they, they don't want to be in we don't want to be in a thing where yeah dropping news with nothing to show they want to be like okay when we come out we're gonna be able to showcase something yeah, that's, that's totally understandable. So you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that the alpha goes live in June this year. So what does your roadmap look like beyond that? Are there any specific activities that you want to focus on this year or early 2019? 
Um, aside from product development, like, you know, you, the main thing is go from single swarm to multi-swarm. That'll be the next big one. Uh, aside from product, you're always going to be working on and we've got what we want to build out, uh, you know, every month. Uh, I think the big one we want to do, is, aside from that, is really build up the, you know, we have a good solid uh, token community, crypto community that likes us and engaging them is really to empower them with more tools so they can sit there and spread the word about the product, the project. But uh, aside from that is really build up that developer community. People, so two sides of it. People are interested in being producers and consumers. So how do we acquire them? How do we build a, you know, like how Google I.O. has, Apple has their worldwide developers, you know, their own developer community. How do we build that up, attract them so they're engaged, they're working on things and having fun uh, and excited about the project. And then uh, also build up our open source community. Uh, so those ones be because it's in our map, yeah, in our uh, white paper and everything that we want to give certain, a set number of Blue Zell tokens as rewards for people, the community to solve certain technical challenges or problems that we might come. We might need a mini product built that runs on our database. We want to give that to the community. So uh, I would say building up the, the software developer community is a big is a big thing that we're focused on for right now for the rest of the year. Before we wrap up, I want to get your outlook on the blockchain space in general. You know, we're obviously in relatively early stages. Where do you see it heading over the next 12 to 24 months? Are there any projects besides your project that you're particularly excited about? Uh, I, I mean, I'm a purist on the tech side. So uh, I, I think a lot of this stuff right now is the cool infrastructure projects are needed to allow all of these awesome dApps that people are developing so they can be maximized. So I, I think over the next year and a half, you're going to see more of those infrastructure ones come to market. So companies like, like Zilliqa, you know, doing a lightning fast blockchain, that, that one, that's one I've got, I'm really excited about. Uh, we work with them really closely of being tech partners. So, you know, some of their Zilliqa's things are going to run on Bluezell as a database. Uh, we might use some of their stuff to solve some of our challenges. So uh, that one's really exciting. Uh, mainframe. Um, which is, uh, you know, a new communications platform and all about, you know, privacy protection, data protection, decentralization. That one's got me excited as well. So those, those are two of them. So I think anything that's really over the next year, I think you're going to see a lot of, even if it's in testnet form or alpha form, you're going to see a lot of these decentralization ideas or concepts and people are going to be able to actually see them in action. Even, my, even though they might be small right now, but at least they'll be able to see and tangibly understand what the impact and power of all these systems are. Right. And so are there any other projects that you're looking to work with or that you've already kind of partnered with and have started working with them? Yeah, so we've got, like I said, Zilliqa. Yeah. There is, we announced a whole bunch uh, in the past week, like one is Sentinel, which is uh, cybersecurity intelligence on the blockchain. Yeah. That, one, uh, that one's really interesting. Zero X, uh, you know, they're a decentralized exchange. I like them because uh, one, you know, the founders are really good, uh, really tech savvy, uh, really into the tech purists. We met them. La I met them last June in Singapore when they were coming through the, the city, and we just built a relationship from there. So I like what they are doing. Other ones are like the ones we announced recently. Like I said, there's uh, Office Labs. There is Physical, which is location data. And so they're, they're able to gather all this data and they would use us as the database layer behind it to store it while applications are built on, uh, using their data. So that's a really good one. The founders of those project physical, uh, Ben and Justin, really good hustlers. You know, they're from San Francisco, but they travel throughout Asia all the time, come off and doing meetups, showcasing the product and just building up their own community. And so uh, Aluma, 
Io, so the company's Aluma, they're coming out. Uh, they're a decentralized exchange, uh, primarily targeting India and the Southeast Asian emerging markets. Okay. Uh, they've uh, this is going to be this their system is going to make it really easy for, you know, people in these countries to basically onboard, do proper KYC in a simple way, uh, have resilient security, and their whole goal is just provide a system that. Uh, uh, appeases or man these guys come from traditional backgrounds they know how to do kyc proper onboarding compliance so making a system that's flexible and easy to use which makes regulators bankers and everybody else happy but at the same time doesn't take away from the ease of use of the ex uh, customer experience for new people getting into crypto uh, any last comments from your end um, no, I think uh, the best thing people, if anybody's listening, is uh, we'd love them to you know, come to our website. Uh, if they're a blockchain platform, there's a form they can fill out uh, so we can start working with them in a certain way. If they want to be a producer or they want to be their adapt developer, uh, they can define themselves. And then we start engaging in that communication with them to, for them to understand more of the product. Uh, if somebody's just interested, interested in the company, just sign up to our newsletter. But we want, what we want to do is everybody to get educated on the product or the vision of decentralization, why it's important. And then they are empowered to go and spread the word because what it should be is that everybody should be talking to their parent, family and friends. It's not just about Bluzel, because why decentralization is important, why cryptocurrencies are helping that and why everybody, uh, the friends and family will benefit from that overall. So that's really important. I'd love to have that. Second thing I want to do is just thank uh, you know, uh, yourself, companies, projects, uh, people like you are doing a lot for the ecosystem because this is all brand new. And the more people we have just building these new outlets to communicate and talk helps everybody out because, you know, we're not designed to be always in the mainstream and they're not always going to pay attention. It's going to be this new ecosystem, not just on the tech side, product side, crypto side, but also on the media side that guys like yourself are building out, uh, you know, helping host events, uh, spreading awareness. That's really helpful for all of us. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. On that note, let's end the interview. Uh, thank you, Pavel, for taking the time out to come speak with us. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram. And subscribe to our newsletter on Decrypt.Asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.